Well, welcome, church family. Great to see all of you here in this room and all of you online. So glad to be with you right now. Man, what a week it's been, huh? And what an what a interesting 10 months it's been. And there's a lot of words that we could probably use to summarize or engage what we've been experiencing over the last 10 months or so. But one of the words that I think stands out to me that captures what a lot of people have been feeling over the last 10 months or so is the word loss. Because it's easy to fixate on what we feel like we've lost or what we feel like has been taken from us, whether that's our health, our income, maybe some abilities that we have, stability, security, predictability, control, friendships, loved ones. I mean, even this week, there's some people that are feeling like uh, things were taken from them, like the election was taken from them, or the dignity of our nation was taken, or our sense of safety was taken. And when it comes to loss, and we've talked about this before, identifying loss and grieving loss is very healthy. It's good to glance back and look at that which has been taken or that we've lost and identify the lessons we can learn and and engage the emotional uh, connectivity of that moment. God reflects that all through his uh, word about the value of grief and loss. But getting stuck on loss or fixating on that which we feel has been taken from us actually puts us on a downward spiral into discouragement or depression, or anxiety, or insecurity, or anger, or bitterness. And in our human weakness, if we're just going to be honest, right? In our human weakness, it's very easy to fixate on that which we have lost in our lives, or that which we feel has been taken from us. And just to kind of connect to that personally, I want you to think about something or someone that you have lost in your life. Just take a moment to think about What do you feel like you have lost or that has been taken from you? And just kind of whisper that under your breath. Just kind of whisper that under your breath, like, man, this has been taken. This has been lost. Just just think about that for a second. Now, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to think about all that God has given you. I want you to think about the long list of things that God has given you or blessed you with. In fact, just, you can just start to say those out loud. You don't need to shout them at me, but you can just say those out loud. If you're watching online, this is good just to, just to kind of rapid fire a few things that you identify that God has given you. Because we know that God gives and takes away. But if we really think about the heart of God, the nature of God, the history of God, he seems to give a lot more than he actually takes away. And so I want you to think about that thing that you've lost or lost or feel that's been taken, we're going to come back to that. But moving forward, I want you to think about um, the greatest gift God has ever given us. And it's summed up in the word gospel. Now you've been hearing and we'll continue to hear a lot about the word gospel in the months to come because it's going to be our emphasis for us as a church for the year. The gospel is going to be the emphasis. Now some of you might be thinking, why? Well, just to be very transparent, as I've looked over the last 10 months and have have looked at what people have posted, think about conversations I've had, think about how I've felt and how my loved ones have felt and how my friends have felt and how some of you have felt. And as we've talked about, as we've been honest about what we've been going through over the last 10 months, I think I look over this last year and all that we've endured with, with COVID life, with political tensions and turmoil, with the images and stories of injustice and violence and and just despair and lawlessness. And we have the steady dose 
that we've all been receiving of media and bad news and discouragement and misinformation. And an observation that seems so glaringly obvious is this. Many Christians in America, and that includes some from our own church body, have found themselves slipping into an increased level of fear or anxiety or anger or divisiveness or insecurity or fatigue or selfishness. And these last 10 months have really greatly revealed our level of trust in God as well as our commitment to Christ's kingdom and mission. That's really what's been a common thread if you really think about what's been going on the last 10 months. How are believers interacting with all that's going on on earth when really we are actually heavenly citizens? What does it say about us with what we're doing, what we're saying? And so as I uh, spent you know, some time last year, kind of in the summer, just really in prayer, seeking the Lord, going, God, what do you want us to emphasize in the upcoming year? What is it that, that this body needs to, to think about and focus on in Christ? And he kept impressing on me the gospel. The gospel. Now, we need to make sure that um, we as followers of Christ are uh, people who know the gospel. We preach the gospel to ourselves regularly. We live out the gospel daily, and we share the gospel often. But I just want to make sure we're on the same page, by the way. When I say gospel, what do I mean? Well, here's a, a working definition for you. Now, there's a lot out there. There's, there's no, like, one perfect definition. There's a lot of great definitions. But just here's one working definition to work off of. Uh, the gospel, which literally means good news, is the good news that people desperately broken by sin and alienated from God are deeply loved by God and have been restored to Him through repentance and belief in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and have now been given a new identity as a beloved child of God and a new purpose as His missionaries and a new life to enjoy with God forever. So I'm going to give you 10 seconds to memorize that and then test you, okay? Has got that? That, that's kind of a robust understanding, hitting a lot of the important elements of the gospel. If you want to condense it down, and you've heard us say this, this is a little more of a sticky type of way to articulate this. Uh, Jesus lived a life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die, and rose again to give us new life both now and for eternity. And if you really to just really boil it down, like what's the gospel about? It's about the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's really what we talk about when we talk about the gospel. Now, the mistake that many Christians make is that they see the gospel only as the information we hear and believe at the moment of conversion. Like we hear the gospel, we believe it, and then we just, we're done. We're kind of set it to the side unless we share it with others. That's a mistake. And that's not a fully biblical understanding of why God's given us the gospel. See, the gospel doesn't just introduce you to the Christian life. The Holy Spirit of God uses it to empower you to live the Christian life. And so really when we think about the gospel as maturing disciples of Jesus, our growth in Christ isn't about going beyond the gospel. It's about growing deeper into the gospel. So that's why we're emphasizing the gospel this year as a church and really starting this series um, this year of the essential gospel. There was a lot of talk last year about that which is essential, right? Well, the gospel is essential for believers. In fact, I would say the gospel is essential to us not only coming to know Christ, but the gospel is also essential for us to grow in Christ. 
And so that's where we're going to go. Now, some of the resources you keep hearing about, I want to make sure you're fully aware. Um, we're doing a daily New Testament reading that's given us a few different verses each day to reflect on and read through. And each of these days ties those verses to the gospel. So make sure you have this daily devotional in your hand. If you're online, uh, you can coordinate a time to come get it here. Uh, there's also the Bible reading plan that ties in with this. It doesn't have the reflections, but you can still follow along online. You can find that on our website on social media. Also, you can download an ebook, but uh, you can get those here. Suggest a donation of five just to cover costs. The second is this book that we're going to be going through over the next uh, few months called Above All. And it's talking about the gospel above all, and our life groups are using those to help grow deeper into the gospel. And as the year unfolds, we'll give you more resources, recommended books to read, um, prayers that you can pray, and other types of resources to help you continue to grow deeper in the gospel. And for our weekend teaching for the next few months, to tie into the gospel, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Sarah just read the verses we're going to be looking at today in Ephesians chapter 1. You can turn there in your Bible now or fire up your Bible app and be in Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians is an incredible book in the New Testament that some would argue has more gospel coverage per square inch than any other book of the Bible. It's very uh, gospel-rich and saturated. And, and really, you, you look at Ephesians, the first three chapters really talk about explaining the gospel and that which we have in the gospel. And then the back three chapters of Ephesians talks about what it looks like when we live it out in our daily lives. And so God uses this book of Ephesians to really help us understand how the gospel affects our everyday lives. So let's open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start this day, this year, this series, by not focusing on what we've lost or by what's been taken from us but focusing instead on what God has given us. And that's what we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to put all my cards on the table today. I just want to let you know up front, like what I want for you today, what my greatest hope is for you today. My hope for you today is that you don't leave here with a sense of what you need to do for God. My hope is that you would just be in awe today of what God has done for you. That's why a lot of us are suffering right now are struggling right now. And so we don't need another message right now saying, here's what you need to do for God. There's, there's a time for that. It flows out of our lives. There's no doubt about that. But today I just want you to pause and reflect and take in and just be in awe of all that God has done for you. That's where we're going to go. So with that, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Start with verse 1 and verse 2 with me. It says there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few thoughts on the intro. Uh, the author is clearly defined in this letter. God uses this man named Paul. We know that this was a Jewish man that went by the name of Saul who had a radical transformation in his life when he had a dramatic encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, a supernatural encounter. And now he's an apostle, which means messenger. Jesus chose him to be a messenger, an apostle. And so we see that Paul is the author, and uh, he went from being one of the greatest adversaries of the early church to being one of its greatest preachers, missionaries, and leaders. And Paul penned this letter to Christians living in the city of Ephesus in the first century. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is delivering content to a group of believers in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was an ancient port city in the Roman province of Western Asia. It's here on this map, so you have a, a sense of where it's at. It's in modern-day Turkey. 
just to give you some context. Now, Ephesus was well known for its political, commercial, financial, educational, and spiritual achievements. It, it was a uh, place that was wealthy. It was considered the Bank of Asia of its time. It had libraries and art and museums. It had a massive amphitheater that seated over 25,000 people. And it, was one, it also had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, which was the Temple of Artemis, a Greek fertility goddess. And that temple was built of complete marble, and it took 220 years. And so a lot of tourists, a lot of travelers would come through, a lot of wealth because it was on the port. And so Paul was writing to encourage and instruct the brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus because it was a tough place to live for Christ. A lot of wealth, a lot of idolatry, a lot of pagan worship, right? A lot of money. And so this was a tough place to, to be faithful for Christ. And he was writing to encourage them and instruct them. And he refers to them here. He says, I'm writing to these saints, well, depending on your spiritual background, saint might trigger different things in your mind. So let's make sure we know what the Bible says about saints, because this is repeated multiple times in Scripture. A saint means one who's been set apart. A saint is a set-apart one, and so it's related to the word sanctified. And so when a sinner trusts in Christ as their Savior, they are taken out of the world and now placed in Christ. They're sanctified. They're set apart for Christ. Therefore, anyone who professes faith and belief in Jesus Christ as the Savior, is technically a saint. And when you study the Bible, I'm not talking about what religious people teach you. I'm not talking about what certain religions teach you. When you study the Bible, a saint is always a living person on earth who follows Jesus. It is never a dead person in heaven that's been ascribed special abilities. Never in the Bible. And so we've got to make sure we understand what the Bible teaches, not what, just what we're told by others. And so... What is Paul telling his fellow saints? Well, this first whole section in Ephesians 1 is one long sentence in the original text with just little clauses and little breaks. And this whole first sentence forms basically one big, long praise to God. And what do you think he's praising God for? For what God's given for what God's blessed us with. In fact, if you were to really pay attention to what Paul's doing, it's almost like as he's writing under the Spirit's um, influence, he's going, oh, God's so good. He's given us this. Oh, 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 and he's given us this. And he's given us this. And God's so awesome. And God's so amazing. And look what he's given us. And look what he's done. That's really kind of how Ephesians 1 reads. And so we get to lean into that as we start this year. So let's look at Ephesians 1, 3. Now, it says, blessed be, that means like praise to, right? Blessed be to God. When you're speaking about blessing God, you're talking about praising Him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now we're talking about being the recipients of blessings. That which has been given, okay? So now who's blessed us or given to us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want you to read that with me out loud. Whether you're online or in the room, read that with me. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For those of you who like to memorize Scripture, this is a great one. And write Ephesians 1.3 down and lock that in to try to memorize because it calls us back to a place of gratitude. And so here Paul is trying to let all his fellow saints know that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What are these spiritual blessings? Well, we don't have an exhaustive list right here, but we're going to go over some of them in a minute. But basically, these spiritual blessings 
are everything that we need to live a thriving, fulfilling Christian life. The spiritual blessings that God gives us helps us flourish in life. And what's being spoken about here is spiritual in nature. So yes, God does give us uh, material, relational blessings and provisions. But what's being referenced here is spiritual in nature. Only that which God and God alone can give. Spiritual riches, which by the way, are only to those who are, as this text says, in Christ. Everything we're about to read about only applies to those who are in Christ, who believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, love Jesus. And these spiritual blessings flow from and are secured in heavenly places. When you place your faith in Christ, you acknowledge God as your heavenly Father. You receive a heavenly inheritance. You have a heavenly citizenship. Your name is now written in, any guesses? Heaven, right? And we even know how we battle here on earth. Like our battle's not really against flesh and blood, but with demonic powers in the heavenlies. And so Paul, being used by God, is trying to get our eyes and our mind and our heart upwards. That which has been given by God. I was talking to a guy after the last service, and we were talking about this message. And he, he works with older folks in care homes who are not well healthy. And they, they live with a lot of loss. I can't drive a car anymore. I can't be in my own home anymore. I can't. There's all these lists of things I can no longer do. But what we're about to read and understand and look at is secure in the heavenly. And for those people who love Jesus and know Jesus in that situation, the things that are theirs in Christ are untouched, waiting. They're theirs. They have them. It's not being taken away. And so really the Christian life is living, straddling between these two realms, the, the spiritual and the, spirit, the spiritual and the earthly, the material and the immaterial, right? And so this is what it means as we're unpacking these spiritual priorities, heavenly priorities, heavenly gifts. And so we're engaged in the here and now, yet at the same time, the there and then. And what we've been given by God in the heavenly places helps us live a flourishing life here in the earthly places. So yes, God does give food, water, shelter, clothes, resources, help, relationships. But his greatest gifts to offer us are these spiritual blessings. They are superior to the temporal and material blessings. So God, lists, so God has Paul list some of them. There's five that we see in the text that we're in today. Again, not an exhaustive list, but really good five spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. The first is this. In Christ, we've been chosen by God. Look at Ephesians 1.4 again. Ephesians 1.4 says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This refers to the biblical doctrine of predestination or election, which basically boils down to this understanding that those who come to Jesus Christ and believe in him have been predestined by God to do so. As God, he acts out of his own sovereign nature and predetermined plan without any outside pressure or any outside influence. He decides who will come to him without anyone else being part of it. This doctrine is taught all through Scripture. We see it when God chooses Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation. And we see it when he selects Israel to be a nation that would uniquely reflect his glory and his power and his plans. We see it when Jesus picks his disciples. In John 15, 16, Jesus tells them, you did not choose me, I chose you. Right? Jesus has selected those apostles. 
We even see it here in Paul's intro to Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, Paul says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Guess what that means? God chose Paul. Paul didn't choose God. It was by God's will that Paul came to the role that he had. Not by uh, Paul's will, it was by God's will. And so in the same way, those of us in Christ, we've been chosen by God without anything that we've done drawing that down. This is a spiritual blessing that if you believe in Christ, it's because Christ chose you from before the foundation of the world was laid. It's not based on who you are. It's not based, not based on how good you are. It wasn't God peering down through the future going, oh, they're going to be good or they're going to choose me, so now I'll choose them. He just did it on his own. I love what one of the commentators I read and studies said about predestination. He says, it's a doctrine that we cannot fully explain, but that we can fully enjoy. <laughs> and that's a great understanding. Like We don't get it. We don't have to get it. We just receive it, accept it, enjoy it. And so how loving of God to pick us. How loving of God to elect us and predestine any of us sinful rebels to his glory and the gift that we receive. What an incredible spiritual blessing that God has selected us and drawn us to himself from the beginning of time. So the first spiritual blessing that we see in the heavenly place is that God chose us. God chose us to be with him the second is this in christ we have also been made holy and blameless before god look at ephesians 1 4 again it says even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him super simple uh, super simplified god looked down at us in our messy condition and goes (laughs) you are hopeless and you're a mess, and you can do nothing about it. And that messiness, sinfulness is keeping me and you apart. It's alienating you from me. And so because you can't do anything about it, I will, because I need you to be holy. You're going to be with me? You need to be holy. You need to be righteous. I need to be able to look at you and not um, blame you. You need to be acceptable in my sight, and our sin prevents that from happening. So God's plan is that we would be holy and blameless. And so what does he do? He resolves that. He takes us as guilty, sinful, rebellious people who've become alienated from God, who've turned away from God, who are indifferent to God, who are sometimes hostile to God, who've been stained by the guilt of sin with no ability to cleanse ourselves or make ourselves right with God, and he makes us holy and blameless before him. Let that sink in. If God did nothing else, would that be enough? to make you right, to make you pure, to make you holy. Because in ourselves, we're not holy. We're not blameless. We're not acceptable to God. We have no ability to earn holiness. All we can do is put our faith in Christ who can make us holy, who can make us blameless, who can make us acceptable to God. This is what's captured when we say, Jesus lived a life we could never live. We can't live holy. We can't live righteous without God intervening. But Jesus came, God in the flesh, and Jesus lived a sinless life because he was fully God as well as fully man. And his mission wasn't only to die on the cross. I I want you to understand this. When we think and say that the only reason Jesus came was to die for our sins, that's limited understanding. 
That's not fully correct. Yes, Jesus did come to die on the cross for our sins, but he also came to live a perfect, righteous life on our behalf. This is what uh, theologians refer to as the active and passive obedience of Christ. Now, his active obedience refers to Christ's life of sinlessness and perfection. Everything Jesus did was perfect. His passive obedience refers to Christ's submission to crucifixion. He was willing to go to the cross without resisting it. That was his passive obedience so that our sin debt to God could be paid. But it's his active obedience, his sinlessness that gives us holiness, that gives us his righteousness that God requires. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we see that it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when we come to Christ, Christ's righteousness, Christ's sinlessness is, here's the big fancy theological word, is imputed or given to us. And it's applied to our account. So therefore, once we're in Christ, we are now seen by God as holy and blameless and we're accepted. I want to illustrate it this way. We've done this here before at CVC, but some of you haven't seen this before. And I think it's worth repeating because it's, it's a really clear visual. And so when we think about Jesus going to the cross, we think about the sinlessness of Jesus. And that sinlessness that hung on the cross um, on our behalf. In the meantime, we have been stained by sin, right? We've been stained by our sin. Our our nasty attitudes and our poor choices and actions, everything that we do and say and think that that opposes God, we, we are stained by that. And so when Jesus died on the cross, yes, when we come to him in belief and faith, we're acknowledging that he took our sin upon himself on the cross, and our sin is now nailed to the cross with him. But that's not where it stopped. At that point also, the righteousness of Christ was then placed on us. And now we get to be holy and righteous and acceptable in God's sight. So we're still creatures who sin. We still sin. We're still sinners because we have not been glorified yet. You know, this isn't the the end of the journey yet. And so we still sin, but because Christ is in our life and the Holy Spirit's in our life, we do sin less. But more importantly, Christ's righteousness has been imputed, applied to us. So now when we sin and God looks upon us, guess what he sees? He sees the covering of Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ applied on our behalf. And so when you read this text and it says that he's given us this righteousness, what a glorious gift. What a spiritual blessing. What has been taken from you in your life? What have you lost in your life that you would give this up for? And so we have to understand that when we see the Jesus on the cross and we understand the completeness of what God did, it didn't just stop with him dying in our place Uh, for our sins, it was also so that we could be made righteous. What an incredible spiritual gift that God's given us in Christ. Thirdly, we also see that we've been made children of God. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians 1. Continuing on, as Paul's just kind of going off, praising God for all that he's given, he says, and in love, 
He predestined us, there's that word again, right? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he's blessed us in the beloved. And so God set his heart on us before the foundation of the world was laid. And as determined by God's will, as a resort of the outpouring of his grace in Christ, his beloved son, he welcomed us into his forever family. That's, that's an adoption term. When, when an orphan has been adopted into someone's home, they, they now have a mom, a dad, and brothers and sisters, whatever, and, and now this child is in a forever family. And when we put our faith in Christ, the, the person and work of Christ, what happens at that point in time is God adopts us and brings us into his forever family. And you've got to tease out the depth of that term adoption. It doesn't just mean bringing in an outsider. It means that this person now belongs to you and that everything that is yours is now theirs. And so when we become adopted by God, we, we receive this new gospel identity that we are now beloved children of God. That's why we talk about that with this fruit of new life this characteristics of growing disciples, that we're now beloved children of God. And not only um, do we have forgiveness and all these other things that we typically think of, now God says to you, you're mine. And no one's ever going to take you away. And you're part of my forever family. And everything that I have is now yours. Wrap that around your mind. That everything God has is your inheritance. Everything your Heavenly Father has is, is yours because you've been adopted. And so knowing that God has chosen you before the creation to receive His salvation and eternal life and to be His child and to inherit His wealth should absolutely lay an unshakable foundation in your life that decimates insecurity. And moving forward, when you're tempted to, to fit in so people will like you, or, or when other people's voices try to shape you into someone who, who God doesn't want you to be. Or when your own voices start to rise up and, and remind you of your failures and mistakes and try to shame you into becoming someone who, who God doesn't see you as. You've got to come back to this understanding that you are a beloved child adopted by God. You don't need to impress anybody to fit in with anybody. You don't need to be shackled to the lies and mistakes of your past. See yourself as God sees you his beloved child, whom he's brought to himself. The power and the beauty of the gospel is that those who trust in Jesus realize that they never need to fear alienation from God, even alienation from people, or be insecure. In Christ, you're loved. In Christ, you're whole. In Christ, you're adopted and you're secure. What an incredible gift that God has given us and blessed us with. We also have been given redemption and forgiveness. Look at verses 7 and 8. In Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What I want to make sure that you catch in these verses is the present tense verb use. We have been given redemption and forgiveness you're not trying to earn redemption you're not trying to earn forgiveness through good works and spiritual activity once you trust in the personal work of christ once you believe in the the truths of the gospel 
and you come to Jesus, you repent and come to Jesus, you now have redemption. You now have forgiveness. The word redemption literally means delivered from. That's why we use the word saved so often. We've been delivered from slavery to sin. We've been delivered from God's wrath rightly aimed at sin with the eternal consequences of hell. We've been saved and delivered from all of that in Christ. And we're reminded here too that that deliverance was costly. It was through His blood. And so our life in Christ is because of the death of Christ. We can't forget how costly that was. And so the ability to have intimacy with God the power to live a godly life, they're all powered by the empty cross and the empty tomb that we point to as our uh, redemption and our forgiveness. It's God's way of saying, I love you. It's God's way of saying, you are redeemed, you're forgiven to those who are in Christ. The empty cross and empty tomb. And, and this redemption and this forgiveness, as it says here, it's all because of the riches of his grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We've done nothing to draw it down. We've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, which is so backwards to worldly thinking. We live in a world that's very karma-centered. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. You do this, this is what you get, right? That's, that's the way we typically think. And God steps in and goes, except when I'm working, because now I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve adoption. We don't deserve holiness and righteousness imputed to us. God in his grace offers it to those who believe. And we see here that this is an act of God lavishing his love upon us, lavishing his grace upon us. To lavish means to just fill to overflowing, to exceed a limited ability to hold. He just lavishes his grace upon us. What an incredible spiritual blessing that God has given you in Christ. And the last one we see in this text, this last spiritual blessing that's being referenced here, is that we've been given knowledge of God's will and plan. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. It says, Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, God's plans are a mystery, a divine truth known only to God. But what he's done is once you come into Christ, he opens your eyes, he opens your mind to understand his plan and his will. Now, he hasn't fully disclosed all the details, has he? He hasn't given us everything we need to know. He's just given us the big picture. And he's brought us in to have a knowledge and insight about his plan. Well, what is his plan? It's clear as day right here. Look, it says his plan is to unite all things in Christ. Some of us are like, oh, what's God's plan? What's God's will? To unite all things in Christ, heaven and earth, all united under the supreme rulership of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. He's determined it. It's going to happen. Nobody can stop God's plan from being carried out. That he's going to bring everything united under the supreme rulership of Jesus Christ. That's where everything's heading. And we get to play a part in it. We get to play a part in it. We know about it. 
We know that's where he's going. We get to go along for the ride and see some of the details unfold. In Christ, we're part of God's eternal purpose to gather all things to Christ. God's empowered us to live for Christ. He's helped us to point other people to Christ by sharing the gospel and using our time and energy and abilities and money and resources for Christ's work here and now. I mean, why? what's the point of inheriting all these spiritual riches if we don't put it to work? It's of no value. It doesn't do anything. And so when you tie all of this together, you tie all that we just looked at together, look how God covers the bases. He covers the past. We were predestined before creation. He covers the present. You have redemption and forgiveness. You are a child of God. And he covers the future. There's a future inheritance coming. A time when all things will be united under Christ and restored back to perfect creation. He covers it all and lets us in on that all for his glory. Now you understand, hopefully, why I said at the beginning of this time, I don't want you to sit here today, sit in your room. I don't want you to sit here and think, okay, what do I have to do for God? Can we just stop and be in awe of all that God has done for us? That's what we want to do today. Now, I want you to go back to what you thought of earlier that you feel like you've lost or that was taken from you. And after looking at these five spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, here's my question. Would you forfeit? Would you give up any of those spiritual blessings to have that back? Whatever it is. Would you forfeit your forgiveness to have that loved one back just for a handful of years? I don't think you would. Would you forfeit heaven so that your preferred candidate would win an election? Would you do that? Would you forfeit heaven? I don't think you would. So why are we all up in arms about heavenly things or about earthly things when we have so much in the heavenlies? God's given us so much. We need a reset, people. We need a reboot back to God, you're awesome. Look at all you've given us that can't be taken. And stop freaking out about all the stuff going on on earth when we know who's in charge. You've got to be called back to that. Yes, we speak out. Yes, we make a difference. But it's all called back to the gospel. You know, as you're in your life groups this week, you're going to be going into your first week of above all. There's going to be an interesting question there. It says this. It says the, well, a statement says this. The future of the church in America hinges on whether God's people return to the gospel as the central defining element in their lives and the defining focus of their mission. Let that sink in for a second. Now imagine, what would it look like if we all returned to the gospel as the central defining element in our lives? How would your life look different if the gospel was the central defining element of your life? What would you start doing or do more of? What would you stop doing and do less of? If all these gifts in the gospel were more focused on. So let's take that first step by focusing on all that God has given us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, we do pray for our country. We do pray for the church. We know there's so much work to be done there. But God, our prayers change when we realize who you are and your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness. 
And God, how you lavish your grace upon us. We thank you for that. God, our prayers change when we realize all that we have that can't be taken away, that are secure in the heavenlies. They flow from the heavens and they're secure in the heavens. God, we're your beloved children. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been given insights and knowledge. We've been made holy and righteous. Lord, we wouldn't forfeit any of those things for something we've lost on earth. So God, help us to call, be called back to that. God, I pray for those who don't know you as Savior that are watching or listening today. God, let them take that first step of faith by confessing their sinfulness to you and repenting and believing in the person and work of Jesus. God, thank you for the generosity of your people. It's a reflection of your generosity. Thank you for all the gifts you've given. We just want to put them to work for your plan, for your will. We ask in Jesus' name. We all set together. Just a couple action steps. If you need to talk about anything that was mentioned today, you need to talk to a pastor, text the word CONNECT to our response number. If you need Christ, like everything I talked about made you realize I don't have a relationship with Christ and you're ready to take that next step, text the word Jesus. And one of us will get in touch with you really fast and say, how can we help you take that next step with Christ? Also, as we continue through the book of Ephesians, if you want a head start, text the word verses to that response number. And the verses that we're going to be studying that weekend or talking about, we'll text them to you on Friday. So you have a couple days to really process and pray through that. Let's stand, let's worship and celebrate the God who's given us so much.